This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Bliss Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, Game Recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. Welcome to Great Iron Blitz, episode 446, Mother's Day edition of the Great Iron Blitz, right here on Apple Podcasts, Sprecher, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Thanks to everybody for subscribing to our podcast. Also, thanks to uh, Zazzle for the sponsorship of the podcast. You can go to Zazzle.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. You can get 15% off daily uh, worldwide shipping as well on T-shirts, hoodies, and leggings, plus other exciting gifts like Marvel and Disney. So check out our sponsor, Zazzle.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties, and check out the good deals right there, including worldwide shipping. All right, we're going to have a great show today, two hours jam-packed, exciting uh, two hours. As the first hour, we're going to dive into the international scene, which we didn't do last week. Uh, if you missed our podcast last week, you get an exciting interview with Mary Woodward and Coach Brian uh, Wiggins of the Houston Energy. So you can go back and uh, replay 445. Also, if you missed any of our previous podcasts from the beginning of the season, 436, that was Grace Cooper, the Denver Bandits, plus uh, Coach Soho uh, of the uh, Houston Mambas, as well as you got uh, 438, that was Leilani Kamal, uh, Lewis Cook and uh, Ambra Marcucci as well, 433, Michelle Angel, and then 430, uh, Lindsay Cash. So check out the r- previous podcast on your favorite platform, Sprecher, Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Cast, or wherever you get your uh, favorite podcast. Make sure you leave us a five-star review. Cool five-star review helps us out to bring attention to women's tackle football, especially on the congested uh, podcast uh, rankings, which is full of American football, NFL, and everything else, so it kind of clutters it. Uh, we need to get to the top. Obviously, a five-star rating on each platform helps us out weekly as well, so uh, invite your friends to give us a, uh, a weekly five-star rating if you think it's worth it. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, we, we work our butts off every week to bring you the best information in terms of covering the sport, in terms of the two major leagues in the world, the WNFC and WFA. So we're really proud of that, um, and the crew itself here is very proud of that too. So we're going to dive into the talented Taylor Hay in about 15 minutes of the St. Louis Slam, the undefeated 3-0 St. Louis Slam of the WFA Pro. So we'll dive into her about this uh, this season and how the hot start here, looking to see them in Canton. The ideal picture for them would be to win on the le- left coast and to meet up with the monster that is the Boston Renegades in the final. So that is the dream matchup of dream matchups for uh, all of us to see. We were supposed to have that matchup uh, during COVID, during the 2020 season, I believe, in-season battle and did not happen. So uh, if St. Louis does run the table and gets to Canton and makes the playoffs and hopefully Massey doesn't snuff them of the playoffs, which happened last year, 
um, you know, they will be able to maybe show up and uh, meet Boston, which is the ideal scenario right now. So we don't know what will happen in about six weeks from today, but as it stands right now, Taylor Hay and the St. Louis Slam on a trajectory to be in Canton and maybe go up against the Boston Renegades. Well, that would be a very exciting matchup. All right, guys. So let's dive into the international scene, which we didn't do last week, and I know we kind of briefly talked about it, but there is action overseas uh, in Europe, to be precise, and that would be in Sweden. Uh, week one, Nordkopen uh, versus Linham. It was a great uh, outing, first week, uh, week one. Nordkopen Panthers 27-0 uh, over the Griffins. You got Copenhagen Raptors, the new look Raptors, taking on Vestera Roosters, 44 to six, was the victory there in week one. AIK uh, versus Karlstad, uh, 55 to zero, they get routed by the champions, and then uh, Valenriga Trolls, uh, they get routed as well by the Gothenburg Marbles, 46 to zero. So week two, as it stands right now, uh, last weekend, uh, the Griffins versus AIK Griffins rebound after that loss in week one, to, uh, 16 to 12. They rebound against AIK. Then you got Carlstad Crusaders still on the trajectory, offensive routing of Vasteras, 68 to zero. So at this point, uh, Carlstad uh, not missing a beat from last year, still the team to beat, probably the best team in the Swedish uh, damn league at that point. Uh, so no, I don't think anybody's really going to be competing there until the final, and we'll see who's going to match up with the finals, but it's kind of early, week two. Uh, Norkopen versus Gothenburg, and Norkopen obviously falls um, to Gothenburg. Gothenburg 20-0. So they are 2-0 and on the season as well, and they are going to meet up, meet up with, I believe, uh, Carl's, uh, Carl's, uh, Carlstadt at some point here, but they got to go through Copenhagen uh, in week three. So it's a battle of 2-0, Copenhagen taking on Gothenburg Marbles 1 and 0. So that'll be an interesting matchup here coming up week 3. Valenrega versus Copenhagen 50 to 0 was a score and they put up points here. So can uh you know it's going to be a battle of two uh, offensive firepower. Gothenburg 46 to 0 in the first game. Uh we'll see how they fare against Copenhagen. The Copenhagen uh only allowed one touchdown so far in their first matchup and none in week 2. So interesting matchups coming up in week 3. In terms of the Sweden, uh, Swedish uh, Women's League, Vesteros will take on uh, Ling- Lingham, 0-1, 1-1. Copenhagen, 2-0, taking on Gothenburg, 1-0. AIK, 0-2, looking for a first win against Norkopen, which is 1-1. So an interesting scenario there in week three. So we'll see who stays undefeated. Karlstadt has the bye in week three. So that's going to be interesting to see whether Copenhagen is going to be actually uh, Goldberg or Copenhagen, one of the two are going to be the actual challengers to the Karlstad Crusaders in terms of this season. So we'll set that out. Over in Finland, uh, week one, the champion Turku Trojans, 25-6 to over Helsinki uh, Wolverines. Not much of a contest there. First, first, uh, first quarter was a pretty good deal for them, uh, 0-0 score, and then all of a sudden uh, Turkey uh, Trojans get going. 13-0 in the second quarter, 6-0 in the third. And uh, Helsinki could only muster one score in the fourth. So that was a 25-6 uh, victory for the Turku Trojans, who are the defending champs in Finland, looking, I believe, for a third consecutive championship. So that's uh, interesting to see if they're going to be able to take care of business this year. And that will be four in a row. Um, so uh, int- really good matchups there. 
Uh, in Finland, the uh, change of the series was uh, originally it was supposed to be uh, two different teams, but it ended up being just a four-team series. And so interesting to see how that's going to fare um, in, in terms of um, how they're going to fare. So Northern Lights will, ta- will take on Helsinki Wolverines at this point, um, and we'll see how they go uh, in terms of the um, matchup. So Helsinki, kind of a makeshift from a couple of the teams. So what happened is the reality in the, in the, Finland, in the Finland season, some teams collapsed, were not able to field enough rosters. So because of injury, and, uh, you know, because of injuries, and those are going to happen, the teams are not able to fill a full roster of 30 or, 30 or more. So it became a situation where they ended up scaling back to just having four teams in the uh, Division once in, in the Maple League. So it's uh, Northern Lights uh, was the one that replaced the other teams that were not going to be there. Northern Lights was Division two champ. So Northern Lights will play uh, with Helsinki Wolverines, Turku Trojans, and Campiri Saints. So week two, Northern Lights will face Helsinki, first matchup of the year for them in, in the Maple League, Turku Trojans against Tampere Saints. That's be a, a very important matchup there. So we'll see who, um, you know, if Tampere can step up their game uh, and, and be competitive against the champs. And then we'll see the, the first matchup, Helsinki versus uh, Northern Lights at this point. So interesting matchups coming up here in week two. Uh, Mother's Day weekend over in Finland as well. Uh, we'll go over to Canada, the WWCFL, week one. Uh, Calgary uh, off the blocks, week one, 33-14 over their rivals, Edmonton Storm. Uh, really good outing there, uh, high-powered high offense. Uh, very good news for them uh, from what I read. They obviously were able to recruit very well in terms of the Alberta swing, and so the numbers are up in Calgary, so that's an impressive uh, bunch. Uh, they're able to field at least over 40 players at this point. So that makes a big difference in terms of quality of play and, uh, and on-field quality of play, as we talked about before, especially here in the States where, I, uh, you know, WFA Pro requirement is above 45, where the WNFC also requires above 45 because it's just it's necessary to feel that uh, normal NFL teams are at 53-man rosters for a reason because obviously there's going to be injuries that happen. And so that's the same thing with the women's game, but that, ha- that level of roster size has to be elevated if you want to be competitive and if we want to stay competitive in that sense. Uh, week two, off the blocks here, it was Calgary, again, 42-0, to zero, taking care of Lethbridge Steel. Uh, really, really high-powered offense. Like I said, Calgary is very impressive this year. Uh, look, look to see how they're going to kind of fare. Uh, their schedule is literally just an Alberta swing schedule, so that uh, fares well for them in terms of the competition. If they get out of the uh, Alberta swing, they would be the top team to compete, obviously, for the, uh, the WWCFL championship, where on the other side, uh, Winnipeg uh, faced off against Manitoba, and Manitoba uh, doesn't, didn't lose a beat. Last year, very impressive. The year before, it was up and, up and coming. They've reached the final. We talked to um, quarterback Sawicki back in one of our podcasts here, so you can go back and just dial it up. 78-0 to zero against the Wolfpack. Uh, Wolfpack, obviously, still young. Uh, needs some, need some uh, a lot more help in terms of competitive rostering, and then Regina falls to Saskatoon. Not a surprise there, but at the same time, uh, Regina is a retooled, not the same team that it was in the past. Saskatoon continues to be the, you know, basically the big, the big monster that owns the WWCFL. So 34 to seven is what we have there. So over the Regina Riot. So week three, a very interesting matchups in week three. 
We have Lethbridge and Edmonton under uh, winless, and they're going to be facing off together, and we'll see who will get their first win here and who's going to be the competitive matchup against Calgary in that Alberta swing. And the other thing we, we have is Regina versus Winnipeg. Teams coming off big losses. Uh, Regina uh, able to only score one score against Saskatoon and allowing 34. And then, obviously, um, Winnipeg gave up almost 78 points, which doesn't fare well for them. So, uh, And then Saskatoon will face uh, uh, Manitoba. This is the rematch of the 2022 WWCFL Championship. So uh, you know Manitoba is coming here. They want to get a win in season against the Winnipeg Valkyries. Um, this is an up-and-coming team. Saskatoon's a standard barrier of the WWCFL. Um, so interesting to see how this matchup will come up, if it's going to be a close game or if it's going to be a route. Um, we don't know how that will transpire, but uh, it's going to be a great matchup there. So we will get information as we get it. There are still photos at the hub, facebook.com forward slash credit That is the place to be. That's where you want to be weekly, daily. Get the matchup, the best network on the planet covering women's tackle football globally. That is us. That's what we built, and that is the standard of excellence in terms of coverage. So uh, go there. You can get the nice photos, still photos of the Manitoba 78-0 to win over the Winnipeg Wolfpack. Also get some nice uh, photos of everything that happened in terms of Mexico, uh, also in Sweden, uh, in Finland, and, of course, the results of the WFA Pro and also WNFC uh, Week 6. And we'll be previewing Week 7, WNFC, WFA Pro, in the second hour with the Oracle of uh, Women's Cycle Football, and that is uh, Mark Simone, a.k.a. the Backseat Coach. We're also going to have Coach Terry Lister in the house of the Denver Bandits as he's going to give us the skinny and lowdown of what happened with the Denver, Denver uh, versus uh, Texas matchup, which is a crucial uh, loss for Denver. See how they're going to fare in terms of the playoff picture. And then we'll dive into WFA Pro. WFA Pro is going to be, I believe, this week. Interesting matchups here. Uh, just quickly here, uh, we have Atlanta. I'm sorry, Ala, uh, we have Pittsburgh versus Boston, the key marquee matchup coming up here in week four. And that's going to be, I believe, on FTF um, and via Revere. I'm pretty sure Revere TV. And then Houston Energy taking on Minnesota uh, Vixen. And we talked to Coach Brian Wiggins, episode uh, 445, about the matchup here between Minnesota and, um, I mean, uh, Houston and Minnesota. And that should be on the Women's Sports Network. So it's going to be interesting matchups there. We're going to dive into the uh, Zazzle huddle, and we're going to be interviewing the talented uh, longtime veteran of the St. Louis Slam, multi-time champion also as well. And that's going to be – let's bring in Taylor Hay into the conversation here. Hi, Taylor. How's it going? Going well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks. Uh, Appreciate it. Uh, uh, What a season. 3-0. Great start. Um, I believe – I, heard, I saw your interview over on uh, St. Louis Stream, and you were talking about, you know, the consistency of the team or where you wanted to be and, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, the massive situation that happens every year with every team. But uh, overall, a good start. Uh, yes, I would agree. I mean, we had it in our minds that we wanted to make sure it was clear um, that we belonged where, where we should have been last year. So, um, you know, in playoffs. And so this year I know we added uh, – you know, a few teams to the pro. And then also I know, as you know, our, our side of the conference is a little unbalanced. So we just wanted to make sure we were at the top, whether, you know, they go top four in each or top eight. 
um, total and pro, we wanted to make sure that we were we were up there. Taylor, it's about I think it's been like twelve months since I last talked to you, and uh, before that, I think you were in Kansas City. I think it was the Glory, the last the last season with the Glory, and then obviously last season as well. Um, so I just you know I just said earlier here in the uh, in the opening, um, the matchup everybody's you know the trajectory we're on and the and you know what you want to do is obviously arrive in Canton, um, and so the trajectory we're on is is uh, a kind of a matchup a wish matchup for a lot of us in the media people. Uh, we were supposed to have St. Louis Lamb versus Boston Renegades, but it didn't happen because of COVID in, in that COVID state of mind. Uh, but this is, uh, I think that's the goal, right? You want to be able to face the monster that everybody knows that is the best, the best team probably on the planet at this point. Yeah. When we played them last year, uh, you know, as you know, we were, we were neck and neck at half. And then um, also, as you know, they do, they do have an army um, and we were about mm-hmm. a roster of 25. So um, it was, it was hard to compete um, in the second half just because of that. Uh, so we, we are prepared for it. I mean, we had people messaging us all year, like, oh, you know, towards the end of the year, actually, like, you know, we wanted a Boston-St. Louis uh, championship. So we felt like, okay, well, we have to we have to put in the work to make that happen. So that that is our end goal. Uh, Taylor, tell us a little bit about the, the, the slam of 2023. Uh, defensively, you guys are really good. You guys are uh, basically shutting down everybody. Offensively, you guys are having a really good balance uh, – balanced game also as well, and the Lions doing a really good job. So um, I know you've had, what, two games or three games. You had a D, a D, a DCD, right? You guys were up against DCD, I think, last week, if I'm correct. But uh, yep. tell us a little bit about the three weeks so far. Uh, so far, so good. I mean, obviously, we know the more points um, that we score and the less points that we get, um, we allow that, you know, it's going to help us with Massey. Uh, we also have two veterans that returned after uh, having babies, uh, so Brooklyn and Kaylee. And then we did lose – we did take a, a loss in, in a preseason scrimmage this year. Um, had a pretty major injury to our defense. So we are trying to fill that in. But overall, you know, we've probably in 2016. So we're trying to maintain. Now, Columbus uh, has been really good in terms of being competitive uh, with, uh, with the pro division. So this week, I mean, I was kind of surprised that they didn't put up any points. But at the same time, uh, like I'm saying, your defense is really, really solid. Uh, you guys got put up, I think, 42 points this week and then uh, last week against DCD as well on the road. Um, so what, what do you attribute that side of the ball? Just, uh, you know, uh, better, you guys are better in terms of, like, the rushing and the and taking care of, you know, just chasing uh, the ball, in other words, in terms of turnovers and things like that? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, our coaches prepare us very well. Like, we give a lot. I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to them, obviously. I know we do the work, but they prepare us. We watch a lot of film. Uh, we always know who, who the best players on defense um, and offense is, and then we also um, know where the weaknesses are, so we try to exploit that. Um, I do think last year only beating them 14-6 to six, uh, hurt us, and so, you know, a lot of people say that may be the reason why, one of the reasons why, you know, Massey-wise it didn't line up for us. So we wanted to make it clear this year that, you know, <laughs> that we're going to put points up and then also not allow them to score. So um, I will say, like, improvement-wise, I know they're considered technically a new team. was the second year, I think, and they, they definitely um, have come a long way. They look really good. Now, um, Taylor, uh, we talked to uh, Brian Wiggins this uh, last week on our podcast. 
he was looking forward to Minnesota. You guys got Minnesota the first week, and you guys put up 20-0 to zero on that. Was it a different look Minnesota team for you guys, or how did you guys look at Minnesota week one? Now, um, as you know, some off-season changes happen um, in the football world. Everyone knows. So losing, losing Grace, uh, we knew would change their offense. Um, they also lost a tight end, and then they lost a few other defensive players. So uh, that didn't change the game plan for us. Uh, we still wanted to put up, you know, 20 or more points. We actually had a lot of a lot of penalties that game that cost us. Uh, we, you know, we we could have scored more, and, and that's what we plan and want to do when we go up there. But we also know, you know, it's week four for them, week five for them. So they will have um, made some improvements, and also, you know, it's it's on their home turf, so they're gonna want they're gonna want the W. Um, just as bad as we do. So we we knew going in though it would be it would be a different game. I mean, losing Grace is pretty much that was you know their offense. Yeah, and I, that was I think big blow in in a lot of senses because uh, that was basically their bread and butter, right? To try to get her in space, mm-hmm. uh, to get get yep. it running, and so that allowed them to do a, a lot a lot of uh, offensive trickery, which didn't happen in this sense. So um, this is a bye week for you. Uh, you guys are what uh, focusing in, or are you guys taking the week off, or what, uh, how is the focus going for this week before you go to Minnesota? Uh, we actually got a message yesterday that we're maxing tomorrow, so definitely not taking the week off. Uh, so a lot of agility, a lot of recovery. Uh, we're still gonna put in, um, you know, implement new things, and then you know review the things that we already know. Uh, so I think. Coach Q might give us the, the weekend off because of Mother's Day, but you know, you never know. We're trying to win the championship, so he could he could still go ahead and schedule the practice for Saturday. But either way, it's you know we're still got our foot on the gas. Now, uh, Taylor, uh, the, uh, you got Jada Humphrey, uh, Kelsey Nesbitt, and you got Kaylee uh, all in the mix here in terms of the receiving core. Um, pretty pretty impressive. I think all of them are uh, two touchdowns at least on the season. They're if not, they're averaging over 15 yards on average. Um, what can you say about that three monster right there? Oh, and then we, you know, we also have a rookie, uh, Carrie. She was out. She wasn't yep. there the, first, the second game, but she's she's a rookie that we picked up here in St. Louis. She's also, um, I think she has two touchdowns from this last week. And so, yeah, it's it's nice to have that. Um, we did lose Danielle Price, and so we we needed to replace, you know, her her power on offense. So I know, as you know, Kaylee also plays defense. So. It is nice to have that. I know Jamie appreciates that. And then it also allows me to be able to, to run more comfortably because, um, you know, they have to respect the pass game. So uh, I think it's a nice balance, and, and it is definitely going to be something that that pulls us ahead, you know, moving further in the season. All right. I know you guys had that photo op, and uh, it was really nicely done uh, before the season over, and I think we shared it on our on our uh, gallery uh, on Instagram. But uh, – I mean, is this Jamie's year, you think? This is uh, in terms of passing and getting the efficiency going? Because I know, uh, I think it's like over six, uh, what, over six touchdowns the last time I checked? Probably over more than now, right, uh, from this past weekend? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's see. I think her rookie year was 2016. So, you know, she was never she never threw the ball before that. So she was always a receiver, DB. So I think mm-hmm. that this, you know, veteran-wise, she's, She's more comfortable um, in the pocket. She also, O-line-wise, you know, we struggled, uh, you know, the last few years just having, even just having numbers. So now we have a solid O-line and 
a few veterans that retired and, you know, decided to come back. So she, she's real comfortable, um, and you can see it in the way she plays. Um, she's always always been a captain, but, you know, I could tell that, that this year is, is – she's, she's hungry for it too. There's a lot of, you know, money um, we left on the table last year, so we were ready for it. Now, defensively, the last game I saw was against DCD, and uh, you had, uh, I think it was Jandell and Devitt and West and Straw, and I mean, you know, I just, it's just a, these are these are bullies. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you. Yeah. Uh, I thought DCD could handle that, but uh, these girls are bullies uh, in terms of tackles and in terms of uh, for loss. Uh, so that's a good sign for you guys going forward because if you go up against a Boston, you're gonna need that type of uh, aggressiveness. Yeah, I would say that a lot of people, um, when they watch film, they might, you know, think, wow, they're kind of small and underestimate, um, you know, the power. But we, I mean, we hit we hit bags every every practice. So, you know, we make sure, like, we don't ever take our foot off the gas in, in terms of tackling and um, making contact with each other at practice because, obviously, muscle memory. But, you know, our defense, uh, like I said, we had a major loss in the um, scrimmage. We lost Raven Williams. She's the outside linebacker. So, but we also gained Brooklyn Devitt back. So, um, it was one of those exchanges, kind of a bittersweet one. So, um, and Brooklyn's small, but she's, I mean, she's like in Jasmine too, but they both, you know, have a lot of tackles. So. What do you say of the special teams this year? Because against DCD, you guys did pretty well. So as a, as a whole, do you think your whole squad has improved for this season in terms of like the three, the three levels, which is, you know, the special teams, the offense and the defense? I think special teams by default get better when you have numbers, right? So now we have, mm-hmm. I think, 35 versus 25. So, you know, rookies that, you know, they don't know the game as well, maybe not as comfortable on offense or defense get their, you know, get their shine on um, on special teams. And we value special teams. Special teams are very important. Coach Q does not, you know, he does not let up about special teams and we practice them and we talk about them and so that they understand that they're scoring opportunities as well. Um, but also they, they set the tone early on, obviously kickoff or, you know, kickoff return that sets the tone pretty much for the rest of the game. So we, we definitely value those and it is nice to have a breather now and then. So, you know, I think having the numbers on your roster is very important. What's what changed uh, from last season to this season in terms of recruiting for you guys, did you guys up in the off season do recruiting or how was that approached? I would say yes. You know, we play um, in the off season. We play in a flag league here in St. Louis, and um, you know, a lot of times, I mean, most of the teams we play against uh, realize and understand and know that we play tackle. But it's sometimes hard to get them to take the next step to go into tackle. So we did recruit, pick up some uh, recruits from from flag. So that was nice. And then, like I said, we we got a few back from injury or injuries from uh, having babies. And then we also recruited some uh, retirees from the slam. So from the 2016, 2017 championship team. So kind of, kind of everywhere. (laughs) Is this still a struggle in the market area? Because I know you got Kansas city and the WNFC over there to fill the rosters as well. So is that something you guys are still, I know in the past where you guys have taken a season off is because of the fact that you didn't have the numbers, but is it something that's improved at this point, or you feel like the the explosion of flag is going to benefit you guys to you know as a feeder system? In other words, I think it's about the same. The issue ends up being um, you know we can't. A lot of these teams can, especially the WMC, can afford uh, to house people. 
Um, they can afford to, to fly people in. Um, that's not really how we operate. We don't have out-of-town players. Everyone lives locally. And um, I don't think dynamically we can afford to have out-of-town people unless they're, you know, consistent and can get here on, on the regular, you know. So uh, we don't mm-hmm. really dive in, into that to that pot. But I do know that we've been making more efforts in the off-season to recruit. Um, so going to, um, you know, college uh campuses when you know the seniors that are um you know graduating or we have a rugby team here that sometimes some of them are interested in playing so I mean we just kind of keep our keep our ears to the street and kind of see if there's any any local things that we can be a part of that can spread the word about us uh Taylor what 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 is the relationship with the Battlehawks going forward can you tell us about a little bit of that excitement and having a team a pro team back in St. Louis in terms of a major league? Yeah, I mean, as you know, I mean, you could probably saw it on social media that they set attendance records and um, people in St. Louis, uh, they do love sports. I will give them that. So uh, we are one of our former teammates. uh, She has retired now. She is the director of marketing for the Battle Hawks. So she was able to create a partnership for us. Um, And she actually had initiated that in 2020. But as you know, COVID kind of took that away from us as well. But she was able to... um, and then as I think you saw the picture of us meeting with Mrs. Mm-hmm. Garcia, she, she was so, so kind. She like was so happy to meet with us. And she said, she's been, um, you know, thinking about getting into women's football investment wise. And she just had, wasn't sure which, you know, route she wanted to take, but she felt like it was a sign that she met Chris, you know, my teammate. So we think that moving forward, we might see a little more involvement from her in women's football. And honestly, it might not just be the WFA. It might be, you know, WNFC as well. Like all, all of women's football, she's, she's very interested in. So um, I think that benefits everyone. Um, And I know, right. You know, sometimes we compare the leagues and, you know, people can go back and forth about their preferences, but overall, I think she's interested in sporting women's football in general. What did you think of the XFL excitement in the city? Do you think that that, uh, if it stays, you think that might benefit you guys if you guys are, uh, you know, in the stands or part of the game? Because I know I talked to Lois Cook, and she's really involved in terms of the defenders, you know, in terms of the day-to-day operation, getting her name out there and getting the divas to get, you know, the, to, to the average defender fan to notice that obviously they exist in the market and the community as well. Yeah, I mean, I think – that, um, I mean, they plan on staying here. I don't think they plan on leaving. Um, we went to a few games, but we also uh, participated in tailgating, and we had um, a tent in the tailgating, and we had so many people that just didn't realize we existed, which, as you know, it's, it's just such a common thing. No matter how much advertising we do, um, they're just, you know, so surprised. And then we had – we you know, we gained a few fans. Uh, we met people after our few, our first home game that we met you guys at the Battle Hawks and we, you know, we wanted to support you. They're so happy that there's women's football. And um, I think moving forward for the city, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, I don't know if you know, but we also have the MLS team. So that is also in a new stadium. So that has brought a lot of love and, and, and camaraderie in, in St. Louis. And I think having the, um, again, has also, also been able to, to help, St. Louis, put St. Louis on the map again. Do you feel like that relationship with, with the Battlehawks uh, next year, as an example, in the, during their season, are you guys able to plan that out to where you guys are going to be, you know, in the stands, basically, for the games, where, uh, on a weekly basis, basically? 
Yeah, we actually, we were in a suite. Um, Chris, uh, my teammate, Christina, who is uh, the director of marketing, she set us up in a suite. We were able to, um, you know, mingle with some of the players and, and some of the fans. And we got to watch, obviously, watch football. And, you know, they were off to a good start. I know it's unfortunate they didn't make the playoffs, but they had a good season. So we look forward to continuing that par- partnership next year. Um, I know she's working on some off-season things, maybe to get us both in um, at the same places and community events and things like that. So I, th- I think it's a great partnership for us. And as you know, like supporting them, um, I don't know if we'll be able to see any of them um, in our June games because, as you know, they don't actually live here. A lot of them, they're they're all stationed in Texas, um, and they're not in season anymore. So I'm not sure how much commitment um, they have in their off-season. But she, I know she's going to try to get a few of them to our to our games in June. Well, I mean, I think that's a good start, right, for you guys having a pro team in there, um, kind of give you more visibility. I know it's the XFL, but, uh, I mean, Dan- Danny Garcia is pretty a uh, pretty good visionary, so we'll mm-hmm. see if she dives into that. Uh, I think the, the profitability is the yeah, – every, all the investors hold back on the profitability because the attendance numbers aren't there. So it's just a matter of, you know, doing like, you know, what – like Carrie, Carrie does out in Vegas, which is, you know, go support the WNBA team, right? The next local sp- mm-hmm. women's sports team, or the NWSL team, right? Show up at, at the tailgates and just in, in that general sense, um, you know, women's sports in general, just show up at, at a women's sports in, you know, in general um, event. I think that's going to help, you know, visibility in terms of uh, all the sports overlapping uh, and getting the community and the fans inside, understanding that you exist. There are games at, at particular seasons, uh, months of the season in terms of the summer where you can actually, you know, catch some football and stuff like that. So, all right. So you get the bye week this week. Uh, then we get, uh, I think it's Minnesota. Uh, yeah. Minnesota on the 20th. And then I believe you get another bye week, right? Right after the Minnesota trip, you guys get another bye week and then you guys go, uh, I guess, post Dallas, right? Uh, I I think it's Derby City first. No, you're right. You're right. Dallas and the Derby City. Yep. Both at home. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys finish up at, at home against Dallas and Derby. Uh, and that should put you in. Um, but we know how Massey is. So it's, I yep. guess cross your fingers and hopefully that'll get you in the door. Um, if you're the New, New York knockout, you're probably cursing Massey right now because they're trying to put up points too. <laughs> From last year, getting shafted. Um, but well, yeah, never, and never, then, you know, I was looking at uh, the message today because I hadn't really seen anything posted about it. And I said, you know what, let me look at it. And I did, and obviously was pleased with our results. But I was looking, you know, at some of these teams, like, you know, that, like, I'm not really sure how, it, you know, because I, I don't even want to rack my brain how it works. But, you know, like new teams like Alabama, who are, you know, obviously uh, historically a good team in both WNFC and WFA, um, I, I don't really think it'll work out in their favor due to the Massey because they didn't have, you know, they didn't play last year. You know, so it's like one of those things where it just doesn't necessarily seem fair, but I, I you know, that's a whole, that would be a whole other conversation, you know. Well, the legwork has to be done by the league, and the league doesn't want to do the legwork. So it allows yep. <laughs> let Massey do the legwork. I'm aware. In terms of the, yep. in terms of the well, yeah, strength of schedule um, and everything that, else. I just felt like last week, I think, that, um, they don't know, and that's why I mentioned at the beginning, they don't know if they haven't decided if they're going to do top eight in the pro or if they're going to do top four in each conference. Um, so, I mean, that's also up in the air, but, you know, Coach Q's message to us is it doesn't matter either way. Let's, let's just be at the top so it's not a question, you know. Um, yeah. But 
I'm sure that makes it difficult for other teams to kind of plan. I mean, because as you know, we we don't have um, a lot of funds, most teams. So playoff wise, that it's like it's nice to kind of get a little bit of a prediction halfway through the season, you know. So, and especially for us, like we would travel, you know, decently far probably for any of them. So if if we have to travel, obviously the plan is always to host at home. Exactly. Um, I I don't know if that's ever going to change, right? Because it's going to be a situation where somebody has to come in and fund it, um, or do some better funding in terms of hopefully uh, um, the new WF, WFACO can figure out a, a a situation or a system to where if you do make the playoffs, there's some sort of money that comes to you. You know, because I think that yeah. would be the ideal thing, right? Where at least to Correct. cover some of the travel costs uh, in mm-hmm. in terms of all the teams. I've always said that before. Like, if you if, if every team fundraised at a certain point and every team just donated, you know, X amount of dollars to a just general pool, then it would be no problem because every team's just donating to a general pool. And then at the end, the you know, top, the top eight teams would be able to dive into that pool given the league would obviously have that decision to make. And then you were able to get at least some sort of benefit out of it. That was the gripe right. that I think Odessa had for a very long time. You know, you you run the table, you get to the playoffs, and then uh, now you got to pony up fifty thousand dollars just to get to the two rounds, and and that never happened. So you lost money, even though you went to the finals or you're a runner up or or you even won, you still ended up in uh, in red at the end of the year, in terms of yeah. like you know operating costs and everything else. So that's got to oh, yeah. change, yeah. and we know that. Yeah, we definitely we definitely know that here, and I think for me. Um, I've been playing was four, year 14. And so for the first, like, obviously five, six years, I didn't really, you know, say much, even though I was collecting information, whether it's on Facebook or, you know, through these, these podcast interviews, things like that. And then I slowly realized like something wasn't adding up. And I, it's also a lack of transparency, which is, I mean, um, we, you know, we have a players group that is designed for players, you know, um, in the WFA. And a lot of times that that's pretty much the common consensus. Like, I mean, I, I know our coach doesn't like allow us to be on the business model side when it comes to the league. Cause he's there to coach us and we deal with, you know, that's what, that's what we do. Um, but being the veteran player I am and transitioning to my role, probably more admin in the next, you know, three or four years that, you know, I've been more involved in it's been still, I'm still flabbergasted at, you know, winning championships and not, not receiving any rewards from it. So, um, you know, I remember that one year they said, Oh, $10,000 and, um, equipment from from Zenith, and then the next year when we're at our preseason, we have two free helmets that were gifted to us. And then it was yeah, well. That's the frustrating it, part it because I've not been able to get. I haven't been able to get a straight answer. Uh, I've been doing yeah. this what 2009, and yeah. nobody, nobody from the WFA uh, CEO, owner, okay, uh, besides Win have come on to the podcast, but nobody, nobody in the WFA has, in terms of a business mind or the person in charge of business, nobody's able to come on to the show here because I don't know if they're avoiding the hard questions that I would ask, which is the same questions you right. would ask. How does the funding right. work? How, mm-hmm. how, how is it fair that you get you know, a Boston that goes through the, runs the table, wins the championships, and at the end of the year, they're still in a negative state of funds? How is that possible? Yeah, and that, that's just not, and, not even yeah, fair. Yeah. Mhm. I agree, and I and I think that you know I I ask more because you know 
you're seeing things happening in other leagues and you're seeing the progression and uh, the creativity happening in other places and could just be the branding and marketing. But at the same time, like, you know, I, you know, when, when the WNFC, WNFC started and, you know, I had a conversation with OJ, like she had a business plan. Everything was very transparent. So I just think when things are transparent, um, even if they might not work out or even if the, like I said, the business model fails, it's, it's still transparent. So I think that's super important. Um, I mean, that's important in life. It's not just women's football. So I think yeah. a lot of the problems would be solved if there was just a little bit of transparency and um, things would make sense to us. I know that the new, um, I don't know what her title is, I think CEO or Jess Dodge. I know my coach has had nothing but good things to say about her and she seems um, to be, you know, she's got her feet on the pavement. So I'm hoping some change. I know I can't, it can't happen overnight, but I'm hoping to see, see some changes within the next couple of years if, if she sticks around. I think the best thing, the best approach or the best way that was shifted, uh, you know, we want to, everybody's like, oh, Oscar, you guys are a WNFC homers. Well, we're not WNFC homers. We're just literally just understanding how the sport has to go to a business level, right? Because it's just not mm-hmm. fair to pay to play and and not go to the next level. You got the XFL that goes to the next level, and they got investors. You got the US, USFL, right? They have investors. Yep. Every other men's league gets investors. And somehow women's tackle football doesn't get investors. So there's either a problem with the business model, right, that no investor wants to dive into or put in their money. So I, I think at the end of the day, that's really what it boils down to, right? It, it, can I get a return on my money? And if the answer is no, then you're, you're taking your money off the table and you're moving on. No, when it, when you have it, right? Exactly. So yeah. hopefully, yeah. you know, the WFA going pro, right, in terms of what they call a pro model, hopefully the pro model is going to be similar to what the WNF, WNFC is trying to achieve, right? Like you said, a transparency in terms of a business model. Uh, understanding the fundraising, how to allocate the fundraise, the, the fundraising, how to get the sponsorships to go to all teams, not just one, uh, you know, one league-wide sponsor. One league-wide sponsor doesn't do anything for you. It helps each team in terms of you know discounts and stuff like that. But it's you know if you get a Riddell to actually give you 45 helmets, okay, that bit, that's a big deal, right? It's like it's you get 45 deal, right? helmets. So it's like less cost for the player, right? Less cost for the owner, right. all that stuff. So, yeah, there, there's just a lot of changes that have to be made in terms of, you know, from one league to the next. Uh, you know, whether we get there or not, like, uh, to your point, you know, it's a five-year plan, right? Uh, hopefully right. The, the, new, the new CEO in the WFA also has a, that five-year plan, right, to achieve where we don't have to pay to play in terms of the model that exists today. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's our goal, and I'm, ho- I'm hoping she, she gets us there because at this point, um, you know, something has to change because if, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So we'll be patiently waiting. All right. So, Taylor, uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, and I know your, uh, your, oh, yeah. little, uh, your little mini-me keeps you going every week. And I, I get to see your posts all the time, and she's very, uh, very open-minded and also very creative and She's a she's a handful, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah, she uh, she reminds me. Uh, she's a spitting image of myself. So my mother says that 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 that's, that's payback. So I uh, she keeps me busy. She keeps me busy. Well, I know she's excited for the season, and she's over there practicing with you guys. So 
Um, looking forward to Minnesota at this point. I think uh, this is going to be a big challenge for both teams. But, um, you know, if you guys get to the stage, uh, three more wins, basically, it's, that's what we're looking at right now, right? You get to, you, go to, you go to Minnesota, then you get the week off, and then you get Dallas, and then Derby one more time, and then it would be the Masseys to decide, like you said, your seating. So uh, kind of an exciting time for you guys. Did the attendance grow at your games this year? Have you seen a, a growth in attendance at this point in, in, in this season? Um, I would say we had a nice turnout for our first home game, considering it was it was really cold. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, we obviously went on the road for two weeks and then a bye weekend, and then, um, you know, we're another bye weekend. So hopefully, um, well, not hopefully, I mean, we are going to be promoting our home games in June back-to-back, so I'm hoping we can, you know, get some numbers out there and um, have some fun with that. All right. Um, I'm always entertaining to talk to you, always exciting to kind of just dive into everything in terms of, even not, not just your team, but the whole league in itself. Uh, I always appreciate your time and making the time for us. Um, so you're always welcome back, as always. Um, so anything else for the fans? Uh, we got June 3rd and June 10th. So if anybody's listening, Taylor, where do they have to go to get tickets so they can show up against Dallas and against DCD? So they can go on our website and buy them virtually, um, and then it will give them a QR code. Um, so that's uh, www dot com, and then also you know they can follow on social media with any updates of information um, but they can also buy tickets at the gate as well all right are you guys uh, more prominent on ig what is your favorite platform or where's your most engaging platform I would say um, Instagram is the most engaging. Um, we do share a lot of the same things on Facebook. Um, as you know, there's different audiences, different demographics. Um, so we, we share on both, but Instagram is where, where we get our most uh, uh, foot traffic. All right, so guys, go to IG, follow St. Louis Slam, St. Louis Slam football. Uh, get ready for the two uh, home games, June, June 3rd, June 10th. It's going to be uh, Dallas Elite Mustangs and the Derby City Dynamite, and uh, that would put the St. Louis Slam on the trajectory for the road to Canton to arrive in Canton, Ohio. So uh, looking forward to, uh, to see when you guys arrive in Canton. It looks like that's where we're at, and that's where we're headed. Yep, looking forward to it. All right, Taylor, have a great night. Appreciate it. Uh, right, we'll we'll chat probably you. after the season or before the, uh, before the championships around. Thank you again. No problem. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Uh, Taylor Hay, uh, running back St. Louis Slam, longtime veteran, 14-year veteran of the sport in the Women's Football Alliance, also played in the WNFC, uh, I believe, one season with the KC Glory. So uh, really, really awesome. And, uh, you know, you got her take on there. Uh, the sport obviously needs changes, uh, both leagues in terms of the United States trying to make the changes to where the players don't have to uh, pay to play, trying to acquire major sponsors, trying to get some sort of, uh, you know, deals where the, the teams are allocated certain sponsorships in terms of equipment and other things and upgrades. Uh, television is one of the things that every, every, both leagues have been able to do. One, uh, one league on a streaming format, the other league with an arrangement with the Women's Sports Network and uh, for the fans, including ESPN3. Um, so, you know, strides are being made on both sides as to who will arrive in terms of the first league that, you know, the players do not have to pay to play. And I think that's going to be a big deal uh, when we get there, uh, whether it be in the WFA, for, you know, pro division 
where it's going to be in the WNFC in terms of the, the goal that the WNFC has set for themselves. But uh, still a lot of work to do. Um, and so if you listen to our podcast, obviously you've heard a lot of opinions over the 400 episodes that we've done on the podcast in terms of what the sport needs, what, what needs to be elevated, transparency, as she just mentioned here, about how things need to be transparent, how the players need to be involved with that transparency so that they also can find resources or network with other people so that it will benefit the league ultimately where the players will get paid a salary um, in terms of for, for playing football, in terms of a daily or, or even you know a part-time job as an example because it's only six weeks to eight weeks. So within the six weeks to eight weeks, it kind of becomes like no different than the Arena Football League where every player gets you know a $300 salary plus bonuses and things like that. So uh, that would be a luxury in women's football if all the players even got, you know, a $200, $300 bonus or, or even a $500 paycheck, as they say, uh, for each game. That would be an amazing season for them, and also it would catapult the sport into a more visibility. Uh, working with the XFL, uh, a lot both leagues, you know, in terms of major markets, need to elevate their game and really uh, try to partner and tailgate and show up at stands and – that kind of deal so that they can also get the visibility on, you know, in a arena a setting on a pro men's level where there's at least, you know, 40,000 40, people showing up to the games. Uh, you're able to get, you know, out of 40,000, if you're able to reach another 300 to 1,000 people to come to your game, uh, that is a win. So you're able to do that consistently and, and support the local teams, whether it be women's sports teams in terms of soccer. Soccer is huge, especially with the National Women's Soccer League. Depending on the markets, there's teams there. If you're in a certain market, obviously you've got the WNBA. Um, you also have the uh, National Women's uh, Hockey, so, uh, Hockey League uh, or the Pro Women's uh, Federation League, which is the uh, Hockey League for Women as well. So a lot of things uh, to be done still to ensure that the sport is not a pay-to-play sport and it is more of a salary-based like the NFL and like all the other men's pro leagues that do get paid uh, a salary to play. So interesting to see how that's going to transpire. But St. Louis on a trajectory right now, uh, they're taking on Minnesota Vixen. That's uh, May 20th, and I believe it's going to be televised on either for the fans or the Women's Sports Network, one of the key marquee games. Then it's going to be June 3rd, like she said, and June 10th. uh, It will be Dallas Elite visiting uh, and then Derby City Dynamite also visiting. So uh, that's the final two games. So go to stlouisfootball.com. Go to St. Louis Football on IG as well, and you get tickets right there, as she said, um, and reserve them virtually as well. So if you have any other uh, questions, go right there at St. Louis Football, St. All right, let's uh, finish up the international scene, and we did we did have a uh, matchups here. Let's see here, uh, NWFL in the UK over in Europe, uh, week two. And that was, uh, I mean, sorry, week, week one, Petersboro Royals, 14, Leeds Chargers, 20, Birmingham, 26, London Warriors, 60. That was kind of a shocker to see the Birmingham Lions fall. This is a 9-9, uh, first time they're doing this. And then we also have the other league, the NWFL, 7-on-7 is going to kick off also as well. But you got four teams there. Uh, week two is going to be coming up here this weekend, 5-13, Mother's Day weekend. Edinburgh taking on Petersburg Royals. Uh, Petersburg looks to rebound here. Edinburgh right off the start, first week one. They get the buy in week one. 
Then the London Warriors will be taking on Leeds Chargers. That's going to be a classic matchup, 1-0 against 1-0. Uh, Leeds put up 20 points. Uh, Warriors put up 60 and only held uh, 26. So uh, this is a, going to be a big challenge for the Leeds Chargers. They've got to be able to match f- uh, firepower by firepower, especially when they take on London. And the Warriors look to be the team to beat in the uh, National Women's Football Conference in terms of the BAFA women in the U.K., so we'll keep tabs on that as well. Uh, Lafay, uh, the Maya, uh, Maya's uh, Feminil uh, down south also continues to rock. Uh, they took care of the Toluca uh, Lobos this past weekend. You get the photos right there from uh, Maya's Football Feminine in Lafay. We'll also keep updated on the Lexfa uh, picture in terms of what's happening in Mexico with Lexfa. Uh, we're going to be t- obviously diving into the WFL and Ana Garza, was part of the WFL weekend with the V-Queens of Saltillo. So you got the lowdown right there at the hub as well. So we'll keep tabs on the Women's Football League in terms of Mexico, in terms of the uh, Legends Football League style of play. Uh, so it's, I believe, 8-on-8. Uh, eight eight. Um, the easy uh, Legends Football League plays 7-on-7. Seven seven. Um, and then uh, coming up week here, uh, we said week three in Calgary, or I'm sorry, week three in the WWCFL. Uh, it's going to be Lethbridge versus Edmonton. Uh, one team's going to be looking for a win. Uh, Regina will take on Winnipeg, both winless teams here. So four teams winless. One, uh, two of those will win this weekend to try to keep, stay competitive. And then we got the clash of the rematch of the 2022 ch- uh, championship. That is the Saskatoon uh, Valkyries taking on the Manitoba uh, Fearless. That one's the one we're going to be keeping an eye on as well. Uh, you also had the state of origin over in um, state of origin over in Australia, and Gridiron Queensland uh, took the victory first. So the the next games I believe are coming up this weekend. New South Wales will be visiting Queensland. We'll keep you up to date there as well. We do have the live stream at the hub, facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. That is the place to be. So if you want to head over there right now, you can get the live stream of that. We also have the week five top 10 plays, courtesy of the WNFC, uh, courtesy of uh, WScore as well. And so uh, pretty awesome. And then we have the preview as well of the uh, uh, Finland kickoff, Turku Trojans, Helsinki Wolverines, uh, Temporary Saints and Northern Lights, um, and all the information that I had mentioned at the top of the hour, which is the four squads that will compete for the Maple League Championship this season. So you can get right there. And go to the hub and get the breakdown there. Also from, uh, I believe, the American football in Finland. That is the breakdown from the that. And you have week two preview and also live stream, a recap of week one and preview of week two. And that was courtesy of the Gothenburg Marvels. Uh, the week one was against North uh, Copen Panthers. And then the week two matchup uh, on YouTube. So you can watch the game there as well in terms of Finland. There was international news where... Uh, Germany is getting ready for their uh, matchup in terms of the IFAB European Championships. Um, Great Britain won the first game. Uh, uh, first game. Now they're going to be facing uh, Finland. Uh, I believe uh, it's going to be, yeah, Finland. It's going to be uh, Germany against Finland. I believe it's the matchup here. Let me double check here. Uh, yeah, so German uh, preparing for the two international games. Uh, one of those is going to be against... Let me see here. Great Britain. Uh, so it's going to be Great Britain uh, with the, the 28th. 28th uh, German Women's National Team in Finland expecting 
to go up against Great Britain. So Great Britain looks to go 2-0 and on the season um, in, in terms of uh, the European Championships. Let's uh, bring in the, uh, the Oracle of Women's Tackle Football. Let's bring in the uh, backseat coach, Mark Simone, in the house. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Hi, Oscar. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm uh, fresh back from Detroit uh, this past weekend uh, to watch the Renegades take on the Venom. So I've had a lot of catching up to do uh, since I got back, but it is good to be back. Well, uh, we, 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 no surprise, Mark, right? Uh, Boston does what they do, and Detroit continues to struggle. So that's the story so far this year, this season. Yep, yep. That, that was the story. Um, you know, I arrived in uh, uh, Detroit to find that, Detroit, you know, Detroit, the Detroit Venom have, you know, kind of a smallish roster. I, I think, you know, the total roster is probably about you know, around 30, maybe a little bit more uh, on the field. There, there weren't quite as many as, as, as the full roster. So, um, so that's the situation they're working with. But I do have to say that, like, under the circumstances, um, you know, I, I saw Detroit um, uh, – Played pretty well. They had some pretty nice plays, especially on offense. And um, surprisingly, they they had a lot of throwing sets in in their in their game plan, and they really sort of focused on that. And you know, they had a few run, runs worked in there, um, but we didn't see a lot of running from them. So that was a little bit of surprise. They were actually able to move the ball down the field, but um, they were prevented from scoring. Um, of course. With Boston, um, you know, there was a, a lot of scoring. Um, um, some, a lot of the younger um, players, you know, rookies and second-year players uh, made a lot of contributions. And uh, I did a write-up on the Renegades website if you want to check it out. Um, you can find it there in their uh, press box section, uh, a little write-up of the game and some of the players that um, really excelled in that game. Uh, we're going to uh, end up sending you the link so we can share it out there as well so we can get the recap on there. So that, that'll be nice to have. But uh, um, Boston continues to run. And so uh, Mother's Day weekend here, we get the uh, matchup that we wanted, Mark. Uh, Renegades, passion. This is going to be a good, a good matchup. Yeah, this is, these are the kind of the two big kids on the block, so to speak. And um, this very well could be a preview of the um, National Conference Championship in the WFA uh, Pro. So this will be a very intriguing game. Both teams are 2-0. and Pittsburgh's coming off a, um, a victory over Tampa Bay uh, this past weekend, which was televised on the women's. I didn't get a chance to watch the game end-to-end, but um, I, I saw... Uh, a highlight reel, and um, you know, have a good idea about what that game was like. And it seemed like it was a very, very intriguing game. Yeah, Pittsburgh put up a, uh, I think on their page, there's a highlight reel of the game versus Tampa Bay Inferno. And we knew the, you know, the, the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's on a trajectory mark that we talked about at the beginning of the season, right? Uh, this is a Franco's uh, tribute season. So you know that they want to just 
get the W's and get to Canton, right? And then, then showcase their owner and maybe finish it up, finish it up. Uh, they're going to get the opportunity to face Boston this week. And then they, um, they will get the opportunity to, uh, you know, tune up for the playoffs one more time against Boston in, in terms of their schedule. Uh, so it's a, you know, Boston Pittsburgh in, I believe in the final week of the season, June 10th. So uh, this is going to be a crucial matchup and see how, they fare against Boston and how Boston will fare against one of the top, uh, top level teams, as you mentioned here. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I think considering that, you know, uh, the passion have already beaten DC and, and now they've beaten, um, um, Tampa Bay, um, facing Boston twice is, um, really gives them, you know, op- an opportunity to um, improve, get to see their main competition twice before having, you know, having to face them in the playoffs. So I, I think that's really good for, for Pittsburgh to get, you know, two good looks at Boston. Um, and, and that'll increase their, their chances of, of uh, beating Boston in the playoffs. Um, so this weekend they'll be playing uh, here in Boston and it'll be shown on FTF next. And you can find the information on, on how to find that game on the Renegades website and on the WFAProFootball.com website as well. Um, and, yeah, this will be a good matchup. As I said, you know, these are the two presumptive favorites in, in the conference, and um, um, it's, it's going to be it, – it'll be an interesting matchup because – Pittsburgh's a little bit of a different team than they were last year, and I think they've shown it in their first two games so far. What do you say of Tampa Bay? First look, Tampa Bay Inferno uh, was able to muster only six points. Uh, that Pittsburgh defense really held them back. Uh, they were able to contain uh, Pittsburgh's offense to, you know, 21 points. Um, so if you're uh, if you're Tampa, you're scoping DC already. Uh, DC really in a must win against Tampa Bay. So uh, it's, a, it's a crucial matchup here coming up here this weekend in terms of uh, the Inferno and the Divas. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, at, at, the, at the beginning of the, of the – in our preview of the WFA this season, uh, you, uh, Coach Lister, and I, were, you know, we're talking about, you know, D.C.'s brutal schedule – and one of the games that we, we talked about and debated was this game with Tampa Bay and, um, you know, he's trying to figure out if, if this is going to a, a game that DC will win or not. And, you know, now, now that, you know, they've Tampa and DC have hit, played um, like competition in, you know, Pittsburgh passion, you know, we kind of get a sense that, you know, maybe Tampa Bay is, is the better team um, because the margin of victory was much closer in, in the in the Tampa Pittsburgh game than it was when DC played Pittsburgh. So, so yes, um, as I said last week, I expect this to be a, a very hard game for um, DC to win. And but it is, you know, for DC, it's this is one of your most winnable games of the season here, right? And if they don't get this one. You know, it might not be until the end of the regular season where they get one that they can win when they face the Detroit Venom. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. Terry is um, Brian, Terry. Do you, do you agree that this is a more of a must-win for DC than Tampa Bay? Uh, yes, I think what Mark just said um, is spot on. I mean, they, they have a brutal schedule this season, which is why um, we predicted that they would only have a, a, a win or two. And um, like Mark said, the Detroit game is obviously very winnable because Detroit's um, one of the least the lesser competitive teams in WFA Pro. Um, but outside of that, this is the, the next next closest winnable game, which isn't saying much because Tampa Bay is very good. Um, which, when you see that score 21-6, to 6, I mean, that's a pretty competitive game versus a very good opponent in Pittsburgh. So that kind of lets us know where the, the hierarchy is in the East. Um, Terry, we, before you, I brought you on, uh, we have Pittsburgh-Boston this coming up weekend. Is a big, this is a big uh, gauge uh, metric for Pittsburgh, I think, more so than Boston. But if, you know, if yeah. Pittsburgh can keep it close here, one touchdown, one or two touchdowns in terms of a, of, of a you know, loss, uh, that's going to tell us a lot about the growth of this passion team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be a really high, high, highly anticipated game because, in, in my estimation, Pittsburgh is one of the only threats to Boston this year. Um, in my opinion, they're the second best team in the WFA. So how close they are to Boston remains to be seen, but I'm really excited to see it because I think um, if anybody's going to test Boston, it's going to be Pittsburgh. And so it's kind of cool because when you play them in the regular season, that's kind of like a preview for the playoffs um, because I do think they're going to see each other in the playoffs also. And so the first crack you get at them is kind of like a – I'm I'm going to say it doesn't count. Like it obviously counts – but winning in the playoffs is, is more important. So I'll be interested to see how Pittsburgh stacks up to them in, in the first meeting. All right, uh, Mark, uh, the other game that happened was um, for the fans. Uh, it was the, let's see here, the Houston, uh, well, we got Houston, Minnesota coming up this weekend, but the other game was Houston against Dallas. We already knew the energy, talking to Brian Wiggins uh, last uh, episode 445, that uh, he knew that was going to be somewhat of a challenge, but ultimately it was not a challenge. And then coming up this weekend against Minnesota, it's really a situation where uh, Houston knows where they want to go. Minnesota uh, comes off that big win last week, but it's not against pro-to-pro competition. So this is another matchup for Minnesota because they lost against St. Louis. Uh, yeah, that's that's right. Um, you know, I th- I think what we can take away from uh, this past Saturday's game between Houston and, and um, the Dallas elite is, is that, you know, the Houston energy um, are kind of peerless in the WFA in, in the state of Texas. Um, they're, they're clearly the lead, lead dog. Um, it doesn't seem, you know, they, they obviously handled the Dallas elite Mustangs and, um the, it looks like the Arlington Impact is not really up to snuff um, with with their recent performances, and mm-hmm. uh, the Houston Energy is is the the team from Texas, if you will, in the WFA Pro set. And um, I'm very intrigued by this upcoming matchup between Houston and Minnesota. I I don't believe that they've played in in recent history, um, if at all. Um, mm-hmm. historically, I, I can't recall if, um, these two teams have, 
have ever met um, in the re- regular season or, or playoffs. So, um, so this will be a very interesting matchup. Obviously, Minnesota wants to improve on, you know, continue improving, um, and they don't want to let this one go to Houston. But I, I think Houston is going to play a very competitive game there. Terry, you think the numbers are going to affect uh, Houston going to Minnesota, and that could be a factor in terms of the roster? I don't, and I actually got the inside scoop. I, sorry, I should have told you that, Messenger. Um, I got breaking the inside news scoop on right that. here on the podcast. Yeah, breaking Terry news. Luther. Watch out. <laughs> yeah, so I got the inside scoop with the Houston-Dallas game. I was able to talk to somebody that was there in person. Um, they said, obviously, 30, 34-0 tells you a lot about how the game went. Um, but he gave me a breakdown. He kind of said, like, I think the opening kickoff, Dallas fumbled that, and, and Houston recovered it. Um, the quarterback, uh, her last name is pronounced Jacobs. She had one passing touchdown with two rushing touchdowns. Um, her one passing touchdown was to Brooke Wilson, formerly of the Houston Mambas. Um, uh, they had a running back named Alexis Anderson who had a running back score. And then the standout players on defense were cornerback Chanel Cotton with an interception and uh, line or sorry, defensive end Daniel Smock had the biggest hit of the game. And so the Houston defense had an interception in about four or five sacks, obviously a very decisive victory, 34-0. And so I know Houston was a little bit disappointed. They they were expecting um, it to be more competitive than that, and unfortunately Dallas did not bring that to the field. So, um, And he also mentioned that the Dallas elite head coach, um, may have recently resigned. Um, and so that's a little bit of rumor mill. I, I can't say that for sure, but that's what he was told. And so there might be some internal stuff going on with, with Dallas, which obviously it doesn't help anything. Um, but all in all, yeah. obviously just a very decisive victory for Houston. Now, Terry, going into Minnesota, uh, Minnesota takes care of Nebraska, but Nebraska is not Houston energy. So that's one of the, you know, it's got a big challenge, in other words, pro to pro. And this is the game they're going to be watching. Uh, we're going to be watching that game, I believe, on the Women's Sports Network. So that's, this is one of the ones that we got to sit up with the popcorn and get ready to go and see how the Vixen fare against the Houston Energy at this point. So if you guys want the take, episode 445, Brian Wiggins, head coach of the um, Houston Energy. And he also, he also dived in last week in terms of the monster that is the Boston Renegades as well. So if you guys want tidbits on that, you get uh, episode 445 right there. Uh, Terry, let's move on here. Uh, Cali War easily takes care of uh, Arlington. It just doesn't seem like Mark says that Arlington is on the same uh, same level they were last year, so I don't know if that's the roster or what happened there, but they just don't seem to be the same team that they were two years ago. Definitely not. And I also talked to the inside source that I got for Houston Energy. Also, we talked a little bit about that you know, because they play, they play Arlington often, right? So if anybody would know about Arlington and how they were before and how they are, they are now, it would be Houston. And so what he told me about Arlington is some of the stuff, like, we already know, right? Like, they lost Ken Gabriel to the uh, Kansas City Glory. They lost Tara Thomas to the Texas Elite Spartans. Um, those are two very good athletes and very good running backs. Um, so Arlington doesn't have those players. Well, what he told me was in past years, Arlington, one of the things you could bank on was they were going to play you tough. So maybe they weren't the best coach team or maybe they didn't have like a, an, 
a crazy amount of athletes, but they're going to play you tough. So their offensive line was very aggressive. Pair that with a good running back like Ken Gabriel, and it can be a hassle to deal with. Um, I think Tara Thomas either played running back or receiver, but she also played safety, and she's also an amazing safety. So she would pick off anything you threw down the seams. So it made for a tough matchup, and they played a lot of competitive games with that former Arlington team. Now, you fast-forward that to the current Arlington, Arlington team, and they have two those two good players that went to the WNFC to different teams, but also um, when he said that they played them and watched them on film, they're just not the same team. So, like, all that tough football that they were playing before no longer is showing up on tape and showing up in person. And so they're just literally um, a different version of their former selves, which is unfortunate. And so, um, like Mark said, you know, uh, with Dallas not putting up a good product against Houston, you start to wonder, you know, how many of these WFA pro teams are going to stay pro because, you know, there should be a certain line in the sand as far as, you know, what what WFA pro means. And, unfortunately, Arlington um, is kind of on the downslide. So, hopefully they can return to what they, they formerly were, but right now they're, they're just not up to par. And so when they play teams like Cali, that's what, that's what the results are going to be. And I know for a fact we've had the discussion here before in several podcasts before over the 400 podcasts that we've done. Uh, we've had the discussion, right, where what team, uh, you know, what a team, um, you know, gauges to stay in pro. And we don't have that answer yet. So maybe our, the WFA CEO will take it, take into that consideration in terms of do you scale down from 14 to 10, two teams, right, five in each conference, and makes it more competitive, things like that. In terms of Cali War, uh, Mark, uh, they got two more weeks. They get a bye week this week and two more weeks, and then they get another bye week after that. So they get uh, Nevada one more time, and they get Minnesota. So, uh, you know, that freebie in week one, uh, I guess you want to just say scratch it off because Nevada was not didn't fare very well, and Arlington didn't fare very well. So I guess uh, credit, you know, the Cali War. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and – for the Nevada Storm, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they're itching to get another chance to uh, to face the war. I know they feel like they didn't, you know, um, put up their best effort um, in that in their first game with the war. So I'm sure they're looking forward to it. I'm sure the war, uh, the Cali War is looking forward to it, um, given that, you know, they are, um, you know, Probably, you know, that's a significant matchup for them in the conference. Um, so I, I'm looking for that too, too, uh, as well. So, um, and then finally, you know, Cali War ratchets it, ratchets it up at the end of the season with the Minnesota Vixen. So that should be a good matchup. Um, uh, suffice it to say that the War have these uh, two very – uh, crucial contest at home. So that's an advantage for them. Um, but um, are, I'm pretty sure at least one of these is going to be on um, the Women's Sports Network, yes, uh, Cali War versus Minnesota Vixen. And that's that's kind of all the way in June 10th. That's a long way away now, but um, I've already circled it on my calendar. And then it's, you know, you've got Wiggins, but and then you pick up uh, Tanya Guzman down south from LaFay. So uh, what, a, what, a, what a benefit there between the two of them 
uh, I think this, is, this team is truly built to maybe clash with Boston, to your point before. Or you had the, you know, the Warriors clash with Boston, Cali War clash with Boston, but they do have two quarterbacks now uh, they can switch to, which is a bonus for them. Well, obviously a legend, and then the, uh, you know, the young stud, uh, Guzman, from down south in Mexico, so this year for that purpose. So, uh, I mean, and then you add Gardner, you had mentioned last week, right? Caldwell. Yes, right. Uh, Guzman's yep. very mobile as well. So, uh, you know, and then you got Barrett and Robinson, uh, Marcucci. Uh, so this, is, this could be, you know, uh, the, the Cali Wars opportunity here to return to the spotlight in Canton. Absolutely. They've got a lot of playmakers now. And, and, you know, all those names you mentioned, you know, those doesn't even count the, the defensive players like uh, Key Wilson, who actually is a very mm-hmm. good receiver. So if they ever need her, she can always play on the other side of the ball. They still have Sanfrey Roberson, uh, Suzanne Lynn. Andre Smith, um, you know, lots of really, you know, great tacklers um, on this team. And uh, as you say, and I think as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, yeah, this is definitely a team that is built to go to the championship. And uh, they, they are, you know, with their roster, you know, they, they have plans <laughs> to, to use these people and, and reach the championships. I definitely think the, you know, American Conference, uh, is is going to be a dogfight um, and a very intriguing battle down down the line as we head into the playoffs. Terry, uh, you feel Cali War if they do reach that level, if they get out of the you know the left coast, as they say, can they compete with the Boston? Given their roster and and all these talented players that we just mentioned, is it you think they'll be able to do that? That is the golden question, isn't it? Um, yeah. I think, uh, in my opinion, there, there's four teams that could finish the regular season undefeated. That's Cali War, Houston Energy, Mile High Blaze, and the St. Louis Slam, which is interesting that they all could go 6-0 and and make the – well, yeah, that's right, because they're playing Minnesota. Um, so they could all go 6-0 and and be in the playoffs. Now, in my opinion – Cali and St. Louis are the two that could actually make it to play to play the the East winner. Um, I think those two teams have what it takes to go all the way to the championship. Then the, obviously the golden question is how do they stack up against the winner of the East, which is most likely Boston. So in a perfect world, either team would give Boston hell, and it would be a great game, and it would be close, and Boston would be tested, and actually um, it would be a competitive game for the first time in years. Now, will that be the case? Just let you know. <laughs> we 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 want we want it to be the case because we're fans of the sport. We want it. There wants we want it to be uh, parody, but easier said than done. Boston is a different animal, and we've been saying it for years. And um, we're looking forward to Boston or Texas in the WNFC to eventually be tested and and, and lose a game, um, but that hasn't happened yet. So somebody has to step up and you know do, actually do it. Um, and so. Fingers crossed. But I think St. Louis, if anybody does it this year, it'll be Cali or St. Louis, in my opinion. I, I think to agree with that because uh, the, only hindering, the only hindrance, as we talk to Taylor Hay right now, is if somehow injuries affect the slam, then they would be basically undermanned, right, against Boston. And Boston is like right. two teams in one, <laughs> which you're not going to win. 
<laughs> I don't care how much effort you put in and how great you think you are, right? Because that would be yeah. a story of stories to tell, right? If Slam would go into to play Boston and they somehow get the upset with a, a low low roster, that would be Iron mm-hmm. Man woman against you know the Goliath, right? David and Goliath mentality. Um, but I don't know if that's going to be the, ever the case. I know Brian Wiggins, uh, Terry. His his goal is Boston. That's what he said. That's the measuring stick. That's where he wants to arrive, right? At the big stage to get to well, go up against Coach Johnson. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what his goal should be, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. he, he has a real, realistic chance of going 6-0 in the regular season, but obviously be in the playoffs uh, if if he can beat Minnesota. Um, and then, you know, he has a, a, as good a shot as anybody else to make it to the, the finals. But um, Houston's very good. I've been impressed with their score so far and their brand of football. I mean, picking up Brooke Wilson is a huge pickup. She's crazy fast and – um, an, another really big weapon for them, but I hesitate to say that um, how they would stack up. And no offense, you know, like I have a couple friends on that team. Um, how they would stack up against teams like St. Louis and Cali, um, just based on the numbers and the you know talent and you know um, just it's one of those things. Like there's just there's different levels to women's football. And in my opinion, on the West, it's Cali and St. Louis with a mile high and Houston behind them. And so we'll see. Um, I'm usually – I'm more right than I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm okay with being wrong once in a while. And so we'll see how that plays out. Mark, um, if, you're, if you're Jeff King, you're building this machine to take on team on the planet, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of the WFA. Uh, this, if you get there and can't make it happen – that's a big disappointment, right? It's got to be a big disappointment because you built this for that. It's literally a, this team is built for that. Uh, yes. I, you know, I mean, the Cali War has been there before, right? Um, and before them, the year before, um, the Los Angeles Warriors, which, uh, you know, Jeff and Lisa King were part of that team uh, as well. So, um so they've known that disappointment before, and they so they especially don't you know want it to happen again. And if they can impart to the new players that they have on the team um, what that feeling is like, it might increase their chances of of winning. But at you know as uh, Coach Terry said, you know Boston is a different animal. It's it's you know. It's hard to find a weakness, um, certainly, you know, organization-wise, uh, you know, it's not a weakness. Uh, roster-wise, it, it's, it's not a weakness. They, they have all the athletes they need. And, you know, and of course, as Terry mentioned, and, and you too, Oscar, you know, with a team like St. Louis, you know, the roster size is, is their weakness. Um, you know, St. Louis is literally, you know, like 10 to 12 athletes away from, you know, having, having a, a, you know, a dynasty type team. Right. Um, and I think the Cali war very much, they understand these things. Right. And so they, they've added roster and they've developed, um, um, uh, the athletic talent, um, 
but their weakness really is the the disparity of their players across a, a very large region, and they don't all get to practice at the same time. In fact, in our our first or maybe second um, interview of this season, Oscar Amber Marcucci, uh, when we when you interviewed her, she had mentioned how it was difficult. Um, you know, practicing for the war because not everybody could show up all the time. Yep. And so mm-hmm. that that's Callie Ward's thing. If they can solve that problem, then then we definitely will be um, talking about having, you know, competitive um, championship games, you know, between the war in Boston or Pittsburgh or, you know, you know, for years to come, I think because they have everything else. It's going to be an interesting race in terms of the left coast as to who shows up to be the actual runner-up, right, <laughs> to face, uh, which I think on the East Coast, uh, the only saving grace or, you know, the only team that we can put our hands on right now in terms of the East is Pittsburgh. Can Pittsburgh somehow, you know, beat Boston in the playoffs, right? Because that's the only time. You, if, even if they lose in the regular season, can they beat them in the playoffs? And that's the big if. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, we anticipate Boston to arrive there. And we don't know, like like uh, Terry's point, the shuffle will be on the other side as to who, who will show up to compete against them. Um, Terry, I know you don't want to talk about your former team, but uh, Mile High does have an opportunity to run the table here. But there are some intangibles from what I can see right now. New Mexico, pretty well good team the last two weeks. Rocky Mountain, a very good team as well. Uh, we got They get Nevada at the end, so Nevada could be a lot better team. Uh, they get Dallas this uh, May 13th, this coming week. Dallas, we know, is not elite, as their name would claim. And uh, Mile yeah. High would be at this point, could mm-hmm. run the table, but there's some, you know, there could be some obstacles here, even though we didn't see that at the beginning, but you know, give credit to New Mexico and Rocky Mountain. Yeah, well, I, I have the inside scoop with them also. I, uh, I have at least one one coach on that staff that is still a friend of mine, and um, we talk, and so I have a little bit of insight with that team. <clears throat> so what I would say is my, my preseason prediction for Maha Blaze, my former team, was they would go 4-2 and two with their only losses to, to Nevada. What I didn't know was that Nevada would lose their best athlete um, to a really bad leg f- fracture versus Mile High, um, along with losing you know two of their best athletes, Jesse Felker and Jasmine Plummer. So they've lost so many athletes um, that the coaches have really had to think outside the box about how to you know play competitive football and move the ball um, with losing those athletes. Unfortunately, that's caused Nevada to be a lower – how do I say this? I love Nevada, so I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, harsh. But I think they're not as competitive. Nevada this season to a D2 would be just the ideal, you know, uh, right? That would be ideal to say, you know, Nevada yeah, is a D2, just, more of a true D2. Realistically, they are. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. their coaching is, is D1. Their coaching is pro level, mm-hmm. but just their – um, the talent that I've seen this year with their team, unfortunately, isn't pro level. And so that's resulted in them having, um, you know, some not as competitive games they should be versus pro teams. So mm-hmm. because that's the case, me saying Mile High goes 4-2 and two with losses to Nevada no longer is the case. 
because Nevada's not as good as they have been in the past, which which makes, like you said, um, a pl- pretty clear path for Mile High to finish 6-0 and and obviously be in the playoffs. Now, what you said about the uh, New Mexico team and the Thundercats, I think that sounds good on paper, um, but those teams aren't in pro for a reason, and I don't I don't expect those games to be competitive. So we actually, my team, the Denver Bandits, played the Rocky Mountain Thundercats in a preseason game, and so I actually got to see them play, and I was impressed with their defense. Their defense actually gave us some problems in the first half, um, but their offense not so much. So I think because they can't, they don't, they don't play high quality football on both sides of the ball. Um, that that will that will result in Mile High, you know, having a pretty decisive victory. And so I, I think Mile High won't struggle with either of those teams, unfortunately. Um, and so they have a pretty clear, unless Nevada can upset them at the end of the season um, in Nevada, that's pretty much the only thing stopping them from finishing six and zero. All right, uh, Mark, uh, Terry, let's go into week four for the fans. Pittsburgh, Boston, uh, do we circle Boston? Are we all in agreement at this point, or do we get the shocker? Yep. We're, <laughs> we're, we're circling Boston until further notice, at least for me. Yeah. I know Mark yeah, is because he's a fan. <laughs> I'll circle Boston. I, I'm also a bit, um, you know, in, in, in terms of, in regards to Pittsburgh, a bit, um nervous um from the highlight reel you saw that um um marcelina chavez who started the game uh, at quarterback come out of the game um for reasons unknown um and i presume that that it's an injury because we didn't see her go back into the game either at quarterback or any other position which she could play mm-hmm. she could line in a wide receiver and she could run the ball too and presumably uh, play uh, defense, like defensive back or something. But I didn't really see her on the field, so I'm worried that she's injured. Um, so that takes a very uh, potent weapon away from Pittsburgh if she can't go. Now, as far as the quarterback position goes, you know, um, Susie George did step in, and she looked like her old self. She, you know, she led the team, was able to throw the ball, and she ran for, for two touchdowns. Uh, in that game against Tampa. So um, certainly Pittsburgh will be in in capable hands no matter uh, who's under center when they face Mm -hmm. Boston, but to to lose the caliber of a player like Chavez um, when you're going up against your biggest opponent is is a bit concerning. Um, So, um, you know, certainly – Boston has perhaps a, a bigger edge if Chavez is not uh, part of the game plan for Pittsburgh. Mark, uh, this is George's moment because she faced them last year, right? So it's another opportunity yep. for her to shine and, and see what she can do against Boston. And this is the benchmark. So this would be her moment. And I think the last year was it was in Boston, right, where she fared pretty well. They just, you know, they ran off with it late in the last two quarters, but she did fare pretty well for the first half. So an opportunity for George and Fatali, right, to try to make an impact once mm-hmm. again against Boston. Yep, and Malarski's been great as a wide receiver. She's mm-hmm. really developed into quite a weapon. And, you know, they have other, other folks who can run and catch the ball too. So, um, And, and their, their defense is pretty tough. So, um, you know, uh, 
I expect I expect to see, you know, a, a hard played game. I expect Boston to win um, by at least a couple touchdowns. Um, but you know, this is a Pittsburgh team that is, that is getting better um, to my eye anyway. So I'm very excited to watch this game. All right, Terry, uh, let's move on to WNFC. Uh, let's move to WNFC because we've got 30 minutes and we really want to dive okay. into the WNFC. Um, so, Terry, let's start with your game. Uh, we said a big hurdle for Denver. Uh, offensively, mm-hmm. they've looked better every week, the last two weeks, just not good enough to beat Texas. Uh, but they have improved offensively in, in a lot of ways the last two weeks. Yeah. Um, uh trying to decide how, what I want to say publicly. Um, so the final score was 34 to six. Um, it, when there's about five minutes left in the game, the score was 27 to six. And I was thinking to myself, man, if the final score is 27 to six, I'm okay with that because 27 would be the least points that Texas has scored this year. And obviously anytime you can score against Texas is a good thing. Well, Texas wasn't satisfied with the score 27 to 6, so they proceeded to uh, leave their starters in and throw the ball every play because they wanted to score one more time. So that so that's how the score ended up 34 to 6, which um you know, I have certain feelings about that, but you know, it also if you if you can't stop it, you know, it is what it is. So, final score was 34 to 6, which looks like it's a pretty decisive victory. What I'll say is Texas didn't play their their second string very much. So since they did play their starters in the fourth quarter, most of the fourth quarter on offense and defense, I think that's a testament to um, how hard Denver did play. And so if you actually watch the game, which unfortunately most women's football fans don't watch these games, um, if you actually watch the game, you'll see that in the first half, um, it was 7-0 before halftime. And if Maria Jackson doesn't pull away for a long game, at the four-yard line, um, there's a very good chance the halftime score is seven to zero, um, Texas. So, my point is, is that we played we played good defense. We were able to hold their ground game um, to you know not go crazy like they, they do versus other teams, and um, they still passed the ball well. You know they they countered what we were doing on defense, and we we're, were able to connect on some slants and bubble passes and some short stuff and turn them into good gains. So they they're obviously coached well, and um, they won. The, you know they they earned the victory. But I think if you dig deeper and you have, if you actually watch the game, you'll see that Denver played some really good defense, made Texas earn every point that they scored, um, and I'm proud of that. I mean, there's no you know moral victories, but I think uh, Texas you know was agitated with how the game went and and what the score was. And for me, that's kind of a win. And so, you know, they won, and hopefully we can finish the season strong against Utah. But uh, that's the first time we've played Texas, and so that was a different experience for me. And so, you know, you got to give them props. They're undefeated for a reason. They've never lost for a reason. And they're the team everybody's trying to catch just like Boston. But um, now that I've played them, I know what to expect in the future. And so hopefully we get another crack at them down the road. Terry, uh, impressive two weeks for you guys because you guys got played very tough against Mississippi, tough against yeah. the Texas Spartans, right? Now you got to finish with your rival, 
right? And they just barely yep. got out of San Diego <laughs> with a one-point win. So yes, they did. Uh, if you're Denver, yes, you got to feel good. Your chances are good because your defense is almost as good as the Rebellion. And if somehow the Rebellion doesn't make some, you know, some one bad mistake, a couple penalties, if they, if they had curved that, they probably would have won the game against uh, the Falcons. So, that, you know, Denver, Absolutely. Utah, it's going to be a really big game. You guys have one week to, to kind of heal up and scope them out. And so uh, we already know that the triple option is coming for you. It's, it's going to be a matter of, you know, how you can contain them. But this is going to be a big matchup uh, May 20th to finish the season. Yeah, absolutely. I've already started since I'm the I'm the uh, scout guy for Denver. I've already started to watch Utah film, and of course, I watched the uh, game against San Diego that just happened that they won 22 to 21. Um, I watched it in, in, in its entirety. So, I mean, shout out to them. They're undefeated. I mean, you know, we saw Denver be undefeated last year, and it, there was a lot of ugly ugly wins, but they were wins. And so that was a ugly win by Utah, but um, they won the game fair and square. So. If you watch the game, once again, most people don't watch the game, but I do. If you watch the game, you see that San Diego literally threw a touchdown pass to Roberson to win the game at the end of the fourth quarter, and unfortunately she dropped that one. And so if she catches that pass, San Diego wins the game. Um, I think she scored three touchdowns in the game, so she was the star of the game. And unfortunately she just needed to make one more catch to win it, and she dropped that one, and so – it's a tough break for San Diego, obviously fortunate for Utah. Um, but to, to Utah's credit, uh, head coach Jasper Horn made a ballsy call when he scored, when they scored in the fourth quarter to make it 20 to 21, he made the decision to go for two. And, um, that and why backfired. not, Terry? You got Tella. Why not? Yeah. That was the right call. Yeah. You got Tina Tella. Yeah. You're not going to stop Tina Tella at the two-yard line. I don't care who you are. Yep. It's he very tough. the same play twice. Yeah, he called yep. the same play twice in a row, and he was two for two. So, yep. um, huge huge props to him for having the balls to make that call, and um, I'm, I'm happy for them that it worked out for him. But more importantly for us, you know, we're in a situation where if we beat Utah, we're in the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, if we don't beat Utah, depending on how the game goes, you can make the argument that we still have a chance to make the playoffs, but the only thing we know is if we beat them, we're in. Um, and so – it's a tall task. They're undefeated for a reason. It's going to be a really tough test. Um, Utah's different with Jasper at the helm instead of Rick, and they have a more balanced offense. And so that just gives us more things to plan for and more, honestly more more stress on our coaching staff to try to guard more things than just the triple option. And so we have our work cut out for us for sure. Mark, uh, this game really is defining Utah like last year where they were, they were getting and they were winning, they were winning and winning, and then when we got to the final, outmatched because they were basically competitively edging teams in small quantities. So this year it's like the only large amount of game was on the road against Oregon. Every other game has been 26-8, to 19-0. So they're not, they're not – offensively they're not mustering more than 20 points. And that's not going to cut it if you're going up against a Texas. Probably not going to cut it if you're going to go up against a Mississippi. You know what I'm saying? So the scoring part, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's, it's, that's got to be something we got to worry about that if you're Utah. Um, on the other side, Mark, uh, ATL, uh, wake up. Welcome to the real dance. And, you know, defensively <laughs> they played a good game. But offensively they had never met anything like Mrs. Mallory on the Panthers line. And that was a, that was a struggle for them. 
the, the, the Mississippi D really, uh, you know, overpowered. This was not, uh, you know, your Avengers. This was not your Philly Phantoms, right? <laughs> Offense. This was Goring Company, and the defense also stepped uh, stepped up their game. So, you know, they get they get the win, seven to six, Mississippi. But I think this was a wake up call for Atlanta. Oh yeah, it was definitely a, a smell the coffee uh, kind of game for Atlanta. Um, you know, when you you win big against you know, uh, kind of lesser opponents, you know, it can give you a false sense of yourself, right? Um, and so so they they learned, I, hopefully they learned that lesson um, in taking this, this L against, you know, Mississippi, who, you know, is, you know, by far the toughest competition that they've faced so far this year. Atlanta's faced uh, Tennessee, Florida, and Philadelphia, arguably the three weakest teams in the entire league, not not just like the you know Atlantic Conference. Um, so um, next they get uh, Washington Prodigy, so that's that's going to be a tough game too. So I, I think the Prodigy um, definitely have some you know hopes building that they might be able to overtake. Atlanta in this in this next game, um, given that you know the uh, the Panthers were able to um, manage that victory, but wow, what a tough game though, right? Seven to six. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of defense right there. And you know the the Panthers defense is kind of overlooked because of the you know the the their flashy offense, but um, we've already seen it a couple times that you know. Their defense is is very tough. In in that um, in their uh, week two game against Washington Prodigy, which was another kind of low scoring game, uh, that was a slugfest. And the the Panthers defense um, did just enough to win that game, and it was tough. So we know. I think we knew that they were ready for um, that. That Panthers defense were going to be ready for this Atlanta Phoenix team. Mark, uh, if you're trying to contain Jakira Mallory, uh, Kamisha Andrews, Lashandra Williams, uh, Ida Edwards, uh, can I go on? I'll, I'll just go down the list. Jakira Mitchell, right? <laughs> can I go down the list? Uh, Mary Woodward, who, who was here last sure. week on the podcast, and she said they That's haven't right. seen us. They don't know us. They haven't That's seen right. anything like she us. She did say that. And so guess what? You get out of the ATL with a 7-6 victory, and if you're if you're Atlanta right now, you're scoping prodigy, and if you're the prodigy, right, uh, you got you got a weak animal over here that just faced a very competitive team. They're coming off a beatdown type of a uh, – I wouldn't say beatdown in, in, in terms of a score, but in terms of a physicality game, right? If you're Washington, mm-hmm. you've got to bring physical and see if they're going to be competitive enough. But this is a great matchup. Washington uh, against uh, Atlanta, probably a must-win for Atlanta given the loss against Mississippi versus that. Where Washington, uh, I don't not so much. They still need to win, but I, I don't think that's a must-win for them to kind of get into the playoffs. But for Atlanta, this is a different aspect for them because now they got to face somebody that wants to get in the playoffs that did not make the playoffs like last year, right? So this to take down Atlanta is my point. Washington really needs to do that to you know to kind of make a statement in the East. Oh yeah, I mean if if 
that and that would be a huge statement as to like who's you know who's the, who's the top dog in the east right that would be a massive kind of a massive changing of the guards um should washington be able to overtake atlanta and um you know be the top seed coming out of the atlantic and into the playoffs Terry, where do you see san diego is la a trick game for them they lose to they lose a, win, a a winnable game, like you said, a drop pass, um, and and they win it. They, they they didn't get it. They they get beat by Utah. Now Los Angeles somehow I don't know what happened to them. Energy drinks or something because they put up forty two points last week <laughs> against Seattle of all teams, right? Well, so I don't know what happened there in terms of offense because it was dormant for I don't know six weeks, and all of a sudden, yeah. or it's either Seattle very bad on defense. So it's you know we gotta give credit to the legend somehow, but they're going up against San Diego. Is this a trap game for San Diego? Is my question. Yeah, so I think the easy pick for game of the week is going to be Atlanta Washington, but the sleeper pick for game of the week is going to be San Diego versus LA because if you look at history, LA always gets up to play San Diego. LA is coming off like you said, scoring forty plus points last week. Now, the answer to your question about how they scored that many points, it, it's, it's both things. It's that they're figuring stuff out on offense, and they have some good athletes. But also, unfortunately for Seattle and Scott McCarron, they have been – they've had the worst luck in the WNFC when it comes to injuries this season. So, like, mm-hmm. defensive captain, linebacker April Arnold um, broke her arm when she played here in Denver, which was heartbreaking. I mean, you don't, you don't want to see injuries in general, but especially her and especially her being a captain, like – it's just so deflating for their team. So they've had more more injury bad luck since then. And so it's gotten to the point now where Seattle's a good coach team, but they've had so many injuries that it's just handicapped what they can do on the field. And so that's, that's what I would attribute to why L.A. was able to score that much. And so it's a little bit of both, right? It's a little bit that they are figuring stuff out offensively, but also, um, unfortunately, Seattle's just injury riddled on defense. And so that makes things easier. Um, so that's how that is. But it's an intriguing matchup. Like, if San Diego overlooks L.A., L.A. can definitely beat them. Um, if San Diego sh- shows up to play and doesn't overlook them and plays hard and doesn't, you know, um, just plays them like, like they should, then I think San Diego should win. But there's no guarantee. I mean, L.A. is definitely going to come to play. So it's a, I'm very interested to see how it goes. Mark, if you're Los Angeles, you got nothing to lose, right? You just got to be able to disappoint somebody else. You got nothing to lose. You come off a 40-burger against Seattle. If you come in here, your rival, East, you know, California rival, uh, you know they need this win, right, more so than you do now. So if you're, if you're L.A., like Terry says, you're coming up you're, up, you're upping your game here to beat a playoff team that's, that's probably in, uh, in a chase for the nine cup. Right. Uh, you know, Los Angeles is positioned to – um, you know, be a spoiler to mm-hmm. um, their kind of their two biggest rivals, um, San Diego, right? They're sort of like their Southern California rival is a team that, you know, is oh, so great, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and then in the last week of the season, uh, Las Vegas, who they always seem to, you know, have, have competitive games with. So um, now, Los Angeles might not be able – I don't know. Well, we'll see. But, you know, uh, 
if San Diego takes a loss to um, the Legends, you know, it definitely puts their, you know, playoff position. It definitely impacts their playoff position, I think. And, of course, Las Vegas is going to be fighting for just to get into the playoffs. So the Legends could play a spoiler in the last week of the season um, if, if they can find a way to beat the Silver Stars. What, what a season for them, Terry. If L.A. takes down San Diego and Vegas, <laughs> that yeah, would be a season. Oh, that would be amazing. Right? To finish, to finish the season, yeah. they don't go anywhere, oh, but they man. play spoiler two weeks in a row. Wow. If, if you're the legends listening to us, uh, that's what we want, just so you guys know. That's <laughs> oh, what we yeah. want. That's great <laughs> TV. What it reminds me of, Oscar, um, I think you guys are all NFL fans. So do you remember when the last season – sorry, the last game of the NFL season – when the Lions played the Packers and they interviewed head coach Dan Campbell after halftime. And they said, Hey, um, you have this opportunity to be the spoiler and possibly prevent the Packers to go, go in the playoffs. So do you have anything to say about that? And he simply said, yeah, we don't want them to go. And, <laughs> and I love I love that he gave that real answer. You know what I mean? And so uh, that's, what, that's what made me think about it when you guys were talking about LA playing San Diego. So, you know, they got nothing we'll to lose, it right? Out, Technically, right now, yeah. they got nothing to lose. They got nothing Amen. to lose but play strong, so good, solid, down. get two wins, and, and go into 2024 with a positive, where the other teams yeah. plenty to lose, right? Vegas has struggled. Uh, Oregon, not a match for them, but they've struggled against everybody else. You know, Utah, Denver, right? So, you know, it's great that you put up 26 points against Oregon, but it's kind of the equal to the 42 that LA put against Seattle in a lot of ways. So, yeah, you know, well, you can't, I, 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 take, you know? I would take it a step further. I would say that if LA can finish the season on a three game winning streak, in my opinion, they can sneak in the playoffs because if Denver beats Utah, we'll be three and three with a good shot mm-hmm. at the playoffs. So mm-hmm. if they finish with three wins, obviously they're, they're three and three. So I don't see why they couldn't jump. Cause right now we've already talked about the playoff scenarios you know, it's Las Vegas, Denver, and Houston, in my opinion, that are vying for those two wild card spots. So if Houston's in, let's say Houston's in, then it's just Denver or Las Vegas. Well, the only way that that can change is if L.A. does beat San Diego and Las Vegas, which could happen. I mean, that's not, that's not unrealistic. Um, and so that would be an amazing story if it happens. So I, they got to beat San Diego first, but I, I can't wait to see it. So, Mark, if you're Las Vegas, you got a problem. Uh, week one, you got a win. Week two, you get a loss. Week three, you get a win. Week four, you get a loss. Week five, you get a win. And then, ooh, looks like week six or the last week of the season could be a loss based on your pattern. Oh, yeah, man. That's, that's pretty rough. Yeah, it looks like Las Vegas, it looks like Las Vegas has a problem here. <laughs> um, so, if you're the Lopez yeah. sister and Maria Lopez and sisters here, uh, given the pattern of wins and losses, uh, May 20th looks like it could be a loss. So unless they prevent that, uh, LA's got nothing to lose here. So, wow. Start looking at that. That's pretty consistent. Uh, trying to get an L at the last week of the season. It is. Uh, yeah, Las Vegas has got to break that pattern, you know. And um, if they are going to go into the playoffs, you know, they'd like to be, you know, any team would like to be on a winning streak, right? Maybe they can string together two wins um, to break that pattern. So, um, but, but we'll see, uh, we got another week to wait. And, um, but yeah, the silver stars better be 
I think they should be spending their um, bye week uh, getting some ex- extra preparation in there for the Los Angeles Legends, definitely. Terry, uh, Houston, three-game slide. They they get the win against Kansas City. Kansas City offensively anemic in the last three weeks. They started pretty hot in the beginning of the season. Now they've slid. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're Houston here, uh, you really needed that win against Kansas City, and somehow they they just gave it to you. I mean, I wouldn't say it was an easy win, but 14-8, to eight, and they couldn't muster anything offensively either. But, I mean, you get the Trojans here. You can finish with the two-game winning streak, and you're going to be basically, what, 3-3 uh, three and three as mm-hmm. well? Um, so you have an opportunity there as well to try to, like, make a case for a playoff run. And then given the strength of schedule and the rankings, I mean, they play pretty tough. You know, their schedule is tough. Mm-hmm. Denver, Texas, Mississippi, Texas, right? So, yeah. you know, if they go 3-3, three and three, they might get an edge to just get into the playoffs. And, you know, and that would be impressive for a first-year team. Very, yeah. And shout-out to Houston. I mean, I uh, our former quarterback, Tori's over there. Um, I'm a big fan of her. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of their ownership group. I mean, I, I like them in general, really. And so um, I'm really stoked. Because my, from my perspective, they have secured a playoff spot. Like, they're – they're high enough in the mm-hmm. rankings where if they beat Kansas City, that pretty much punched their ticket because um, no offense to Tennessee, but them being a first-year team, um, them and Houston isn't, isn't like a fair matchup. You know what I mean? Houston's more established. They have more athletes. They have a bigger roster. They have more talent. Like, the list goes on and on. So I think it's fair to assume that Houston will beat Tennessee, no offense to Tennessee, and that will solidify them going 3-3. Three and three. Denver, on the other hand, has to beat Utah – which is a top four, top five team in the league to get us to three and three. So we have a much harder road to get that done, um, but we have nobody to blame but ourselves because we lost to Houston in week one. And so, you know, there's no pity parties. Like we just have to. Take and care uh, of Terry, you so. did say you did say at the beginning of the year you said this is a big game for you for Denver, right? That if they mm-hmm. won that, it was a factor in the end, right? And this is where we're at. It, w- it could have been a factor yeah. in the end, you know. And here we are. But you know what? Houston, <laughs> yeah. Houston's played the tougher schedule. You know, I'm on the WFRC, you know, com- rankings, you know, team. And, I, I mean, the Central is a tougher schedule. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to me, it's just they're higher ranked. I, I would rank them mm-hmm. higher because they did play the tougher schedule. And the, and the Central Division is the tougher schedule. Yeah, we talked, we, we talked about that in our private chat, me and Holly. <clears throat> and um, she made a good point that, like, you know, Denver finishing their season against Mississippi, Texas, and Utah is brutal. But mm-hmm. Houston has the unfortunate uh, schedule, schedule that they play Texas twice. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Kansas City and, and Houston both playing Texas twice is just not a good time. You know what I mean? Like, I, we played them once, and that was, that was uh, stressful enough. I, I can't imagine playing them twice. Um, and so that is, that is more difficult. And it kind of it balances out, like, because you, you could say – that Seattle is more competitive than Tennessee, but it doesn't matter because playing Texas twice is just a, a grueling thing to do. And so I, I can't I can't argue with that that um, a team like Houston does have a stronger stronger uh, schedule than um, than Denver just because playing Texas twice is brutal. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of, you have to weigh the strength of schedule in that sense because yeah. that's yeah. literally the difference there. Uh, Mark, we got five minutes. Uh, so we got key games. 
for week seven, WNFC. Let me see here. Maybe it's – oh, I forgot to bring in Nate here. Sorry, Nate. I'm always lagging behind here on the switchboard. Um, no worries. We got key games. <laughs> key games coming up here this week. So we got five minutes. Let's, let's give our take here. Uh, will uh, let's go, Nate. Will Sandy? Will LA upset San Diego this weekend? Yes, yes. I'm going to say yes because they well, you know they want to play spoiler. Okay. All right, Terry. Will I LA you. upset San Diego? Um. Oh man! Come on, Terry. I wasn't ready for that question. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm going to play this a safe the Browns, and say San Diego will Yeah, I'll say San Diego will win But I, I would love okay. to see LA win I would love to see the upset okay. so. uh, Mark uh, San Diego, LA uh, Yeah, no I'm, I'm going to play it safe like Terry I, I just sort of feel like If one player on San Diego Has a good day It's probably going to be enough to Beat the Legends um, so I'm going to take San Diego. Not that I wouldn't like to, you know, see an upset happen. Love a good upset. Okay. San Diego, myself, uh, Nate, let's, uh, we have three minutes, so let's move it. Uh, Atlanta, Washington, who do we take? It's tough. That is tough. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the prodigy. Okay, you got Washington. Terry? Washington. Washington. Uh, Mark? I'm also going to take Washington. Mm. I'm going Washington. I don't know. That's that's I think that was Unanimous. Yeah. So if ATL is listening to us, they're probably going, what? But oh, we're going, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Come into yeah. play. Let's go. Um <laughs> All right, and then let's finish up here for the – we have two minutes. Uh, Terry, uh, Houston, Tennessee, did they get the dub? Houston. And they get they, – they punch their ticket to the playoffs. Yes, sir, Houston. Houston. Nate? Yeah, for sure, Houston. Yeah, I'm thinking Houston too. So well, there there we are. So that's the, that's the three games we're going to be paying attention to. Uh, definitely going to have a lot of popcorn for L.A. San Diego and definitely a lot of popcorn for Atlanta, Washington. So I could have mm-hmm. a tummy ache by the end of the night, but uh, <laughs> that's how it's going to be, right? <laughs> uh, but overall, a great week seven. And then we got Pro, Pittsburgh, Boston. Uh, we had Houston, Minnesota over in the WFA Pro. So, all right, for, uh, for the option, Holly Custis, Mackenzie Brooks, uh, for the clan here, we're going to see you guys next week, episode 447. And uh, are we going to get the Shocker in L.A.? We'll find out. And if, are we going to get the Prodigy to win an ATL? So uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup. W score, that's where you want to be, WNFCfootball.com. All right, Terry, uh, Nate, and Mark, thanks for coming mm. in. Really appreciate it. Catch you guys next week. Peace. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.